The Health Mastery Cafe is recorded live and then produced by DMMD Studios. So I want you to listen to this entire podcast from beginning to end. Don't fast forward. Don't skip through because this is going to majorly enrich your life to hear the story of Arlie and Ryan Gregerson and their beautiful little baby girl, Lucy. Next on the Health Mastery Cafe, rethinking what's at stake, rebranding health. This episode of the Health Mastery Cafe is brought to you by WebMD. Find out more at webmd.com forward slash heart health. I've got a magical, inspirational story to share with you today. I met this beautiful couple and their lovely daughter on the set of the Steve Harvey Show. And as we were talking about the the segment that we were going to be doing together about the story we're going to delve into today, I learned that there were so many levels and layers of complexity that we couldn't possibly get it all out on a segment on Steve Harvey. And so what we decided to do was tell the entire story here on the Health Mastery Cafe, and it's airing after the show. So if you have not seen the Steve Harvey segment... Go to The Good Dr. Dave on Twitter or The Good Dr. Dave on Instagram, Dr. Dave on Facebook to see where the segment is. DaveMontgomeryMD.com is the website. You'll be able to find the clip there as well. But this, this, this courageous story, this magical story of the human spirit um, is really intriguing because Arlie actually died. And she's going to tell us the story. I mean, it's just magical that she's able to tell this story with that commentary. She died and was dead for an hour. She's going to tell us that full story when we come back on the Health Mastery Cafe. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at The Good Dr. Dave. And on Facebook at Dr. Dave. Or visit DaveMontgomeryMD.com. We'd love to hear from you. I want you to say hello to Arlie and Ryan Gregerson. Arlie, Ryan, thanks for being on the Health Mastery Cafe. Hello. Our pleasure. It's nice to be with you today. As you may know, on the Health Mastery Cafe, we like to start off on a lighter note. We like to start off a little bit upbeat on our show. And I want you to take our our coffee break, okay? Will you take the coffee break with us today? Absolutely. All right, great, great, great. So what I ask people to do is choose between two things, and we always start off with coffee or tea. Which one would you choose, coffee or tea? Hot chocolate. Hot hot chocolate. (laughs) Okay, all right, absolutely. She's a hot chocolate kind of person. I like that. The next one is blues or rock. Blues or rock? Rock. Definitely rock. Rock and roll kind of guy. You, you play any instruments, Ryan? I wish. I wish that I did. No, I just enjoy, I just enjoy listening. Yeah, no, I, I play the imaginary drums, man. So we're, you know, we, could, we could get the band back together, man, okay? And then the last question is Panthers or Broncos? Panthers or Broncos? Broncos. And I say Panthers. Oh, boy. That's going to be an interesting household to be in on Sunday. <laughs> Super Bowl 50, this is going to be something else, isn't it? It will be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing this very, very personal and intimate story, but a very inspirational story. 
why don't we start from the very beginning? Arlie, if you could kind of tell us, um, you found out that you were pregnant at a very, very serious time in your medical unfolding, didn't you? There was something else going on with your body when you figured out that you were pregnant. Can you tell us a little bit about that? When I first found out that I was pregnant, I was going to an endocrinologist because I had had some family history of problems with thyroid and parathyroid. And so they had tested my blood and had found out that there were some issues with it, but they didn't want to do anything right away. They wanted to kind of wait and see if it would take care of itself. And so I didn't do anything as far as following up with them until after I was pregnant. But I was very, very sick from the very beginning. And I was going into, we actually didn't figure out what was going on. I was just really sick and I couldn't. You didn't know why. You couldn't tell what was going on, it sounds like. Right. And so I finally went in. I didn't want to be one of those people that, you know, complains about being pregnant from day one and just miserable the entire time. Yeah. And I figured that it was kind of what I had to go through to be pregnant. And we went into, it was either the first or it was like the second or third appointment that we went into. And I was so sick and my doctor had taken some tests and realized that I was so dehydrated and I just needed fluids. So yeah. they sent me over to get an IV to get fluids. And then at that point I was asking them if there was any drug that they could give me for um, nausea because I couldn't keep anything down. Yeah. And they had prescribed um, the same drug that they give the chemo patients to help them. And it instantly worked, but it only would last for like three or four days. Yeah. So I could go in and get it every seven days because that's how my insurance would cover it. So I was doing that every seven days, going in and getting bags of fluids and taking this. To try to keep the nausea down. Wow. So this was happening. How far along were you in your pregnancy? Eleven weeks, and you were going through all of this nausea. You, you were actually vomiting as well. You were dehydrated. You had no idea that this was anything more than how pregnancy was for you, right? This you're expecting your first child. You, it, it sounds like you didn't know if this was just how pregnancy was, or if this was something else going on. Yeah, I thought that it was normal. You know how you hear about people complain about it, but I didn't want to necessarily be that person. I wanted to enjoy the experience and just be happy that we were able to get pregnant and have a baby. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a miracle indeed to do that. And you just wanted to, you know, embrace everything that came along with it. I actually, I, I know, I know how you, you know, what you mean by that. But really, there was something really terrible going on inside your body. When did you figure out that something was majorly wrong with your body? I continued for, I mean, let's see, 10 weeks to go and get these treatments. And it wasn't until I went, I followed, I went and followed up with my doctor at the 22 weeks when she had said, mentioned to me that she felt like that lymph node or thyroid I'm not exactly sure what she felt in there but she said something was enlarged and I needed to go and see my endocrinologist so they could figure out what was going on in my neck something was enlarged in your neck she couldn't tell what it was but she knew it needed some more investigation what did they finally figure out it was they sent me to actually get an ultrasound done on my neck so they found a mass on my thyroid 
and they knew that there were enlarged parathyroid, but at that point they did not know that there were five instead of four. So you were so, ladies and gentlemen, we are normally born with four parathyroids. That means next to the thyroid gland, right in the lower part of your neck, right by the voice box, also called the thyroid cartilage. Behind the thyroid, right toward sort of the middle of your neck, there are four small raisin-looking organs called the parathyroid organs. We are normally born with four. In Arlie, you had a fifth one, and all of them were enlarged? All of them were, yes. Wow. So then they knew something had to to happen. And what was the recommendation of the physician at that time? They wanted me to go into surgery immediately. She had actually called the surgeon that she wanted to use because my brother and my sister actually had the same exact surgery. And so she wanted to use the same surgeon that had done theirs, called him up and scheduled the surgery before I had even come back from the ultrasound. Oh, so, so this is the family history you were talking about. So your sister had had a similar surgery and they found the same surgeon who had done the surgery for your sister to do yours, but you were 22 weeks pregnant. They still wanted to do the surgery. One of the concerns they had was because she had these enlarged parathyroids, they were overproducing whatever it is they produce. Um, that was part of what was making her sick, but also uh, they were worried that if her body was overproducing, then as Lucy continued to grow in the womb, Lucy would not develop parathyroids because her body wouldn't know that it needed to. Uh-huh. And that's why they wanted to do the surgery then because we risked Lucy not having parathyroids if we didn't go in then to do the surgery. Yeah, and the parathyroid glands, although they're small, we have four of them for a reason because what they do is help regulate the calcium and the phosphate, and they do other things in our body, but those are the really important things. We have to have a normal amount of calcium and phosphate. And it's interesting that they would say that because if, you know, if the parathyroid hormone that comes out is overabundant, then you don't have the signal to grow your own parathyroid as a growing fetus. So Lucy wouldn't have grown them. That's really, really interesting. So you went through the surgery, and then what happened? I started feeling better almost immediately. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Let's take a quick break, because when we come back, we're going to talk about, guys, Now what the doctors were talking about, about the delivery, Lucy's delivery, after she had grown and grown and grown, what were they saying about what was next? What could we expect next for Lucy when we come back on the Health Mastery Cafe? Don't go away. We'll be right back. us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at The Good Dr. Dave, and on Facebook at Dr. Dave, or visit DaveMontgomeryMD.com. We'd love to hear from you. Reach your target market with advertising on the show. Email us at info at DaveMontgomeryMD.com. Promote your company, product, or service. Email info at DaveMontgomeryMD.com. Um, so we're back on the Health Mastery Cafe, and I'm talking to the Gregersons, a very, very inspirational couple with a, a heroic story, a story of the human spirit, and they are sharing with us the birth of their new baby girl, Lucy, their firstborn. And 
what happened surrounding the delivery. And we were talking about you had some complications with your parathyroid uh, um, um, glands. And it turns out your thyroid also, when they took the parathyroid glands and, and repositioned them and took out the large ones, they also took a bit of your thyroid gland. After the surgery, you felt immediately better. Now tell me what they were saying next. What was going on next, guys? When I went to my next doctor's appointment with my OB, she seemed to think that everything was taken care of and that everything was going to be smooth from that point on. She had no concerns at all. And when I met up with my endocrinologist, she felt the same exact way. She had talked to the surgeon and he felt confident that they had gotten everything taken care of. His only concern was because your the hormone that you have while you're pregnant sometimes causes the cancer, if there is any left in your body, it causes it to grow. And so he had just mentioned to her, if after I had the baby, if they, they did another ultrasound on my thyroid and it had grown at all, they were just going to take out the other half yeah. so that I had no thyroid at all left. Yeah. Well, so, and, and it's important for us to point out to people that um, there are a number of people who get their thyroids completely removed, what we call a total thyroidectomy. And although we need the thyroid, you can replace the thyroid with a very small tablet and, the, the, you know, the thyroid hormone with a very small tablet. And that's what they're looking for. They're saying, you know, if there's any sign of cancer in that thyroid, I would just take it out, the surgeon's saying, and then we would supplant a, and, and replace what the thyroid does with a little tablet. And that's what they were thinking about in you, wanting to make sure that you're fully protected and also Lucy. Is that right? Correct. Uh, they actually put me on the, the Stenthroid right after I had that surgery because they had taken enough out that it had caused my levels to go down and they wanted to even them out. So they put me on that right after my surgery. It was about three weeks after. And so I was taking that okay. the whole time. Yeah, so you were, you were actually taking the thyroid replacement called Synthroid right, uh, you know, about three weeks after. Okay, so that's really important to know. What were they saying about Lucy? What happened with Lucy? They monitored her heart the entire time I was in surgery. And when I had come out, everything was normal. They checked it again. And I went on and went to regular doctor's appointments all the way up until I was about 36 weeks. And everything seemed to be very normal. And then my weight and her weight had not changed from my 36-week appointment. So she, she had stopped growing? Correct. And they were very concerned about that. That's a very concerning sign. What were they saying to you then? They had me go in and do um, stress tests every other day to make sure that she was still moving as normal as she should be. And she was. Every time I'd go in, they'd... I mean, I'd be hooked up to monitors for any anywhere between 20 to 45 minutes. Yeah. And she was very active. I mean, I was going into my doctor's appointments and she'd be head down. And then the next time she'd be feet down. I mean, she was flipping all. She was a gymnast in there, huh? <laughs> flipping around an acrobat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and then at what point did they say, um, did, did they start talking about the mode of delivery? When did they say they were, you know, I mean, wasn't there a time when they said to you that they weren't sure if they would be able to deliver the baby uh, a vaginal delivery? 
we had actually talked about that a couple different times throughout my pregnancy. And so that it was between my 36, it was around 36 weeks that we had actually talked about doing a C-section and tried to nail down a date. So I had something, so I had a date to kind of expect when I would be delivering her. Yeah. One of the concerns was is that when Arlie was in high school, she was in a really severe car accident uh, where she broke her, her hip and her pelvis pretty severely. Um, and so they were concerned that a, a normal vaginal birth could cause some long-term damage or effects to her hips or her pelvis. And so they were considering the C-section kind of all along. All along, even before the thyroid and all of this stuff. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then once they realized the baby wasn't growing anymore, um, it really came down to which way Lucy was positioned when they actually decided that they had to take her right then. I think that was at 38 weeks they decided that. Yeah. So at 38 weeks, so, so, so clarify that. So at 38 weeks, they made the decision that she had to be delivered at that time? That's right. So we she'd gone to an appointment for a stress test um, for them just to monitor it, and then they she called me and had me go with because she was a little bit concerned. So we're there for a stress test, and the OB comes in and says, we're going to take the baby right now. And oh, wow. So they took down to the maternity ward at that point in time. They ended up actually deciding they could wait two more days, and so we did, but it was at 38 weeks they decided that, and at that time um, Lucy was uh, – was breach, so they decided they had to do a C-section. Yeah, yeah, and she was born a beautiful, beautiful baby girl, and and, and so so that must have that must have been shocking though, right? I mean, you're going in, you think things are going okay, yeah, you kind of got used to going every other day to do these stress tests where they're monitoring the baby's heart rate and yours and everything, but then they say, hey, look, we got to deliver the baby. How did that feel to you, Arlie? I was in complete shock. As much as I didn't want to be pregnant anymore, I also was very scared and nervous and all the feelings you feel like when you are getting ready to have a baby. Yeah. And I didn't have a pedicure done yet. And so <laughs> I got out of that hospital. Without a pedicure, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, I was about to let her be born without a pedicure. Yeah. Wow. And my doctor had come in and she said with the stress test, they were really concerned, but they weren't so concerned that they had to take her right then. Plus, if I was to have the baby that day, she wouldn't be delivering it. And I just felt like since I had been with her throughout my entire pregnancy, I really wanted her to deliver yeah. Lucy. Yeah. So we came back the following day. Yeah, there's there's really something about that relationship that you develop with your with your OB, isn't it? And and you know you don't want to be necessarily apart from them. We understand they have to be on call and all that, but you really want the OB that you've developed the rapport with all that time that you you know you kind of know knows you knows your case the best to deliver the baby. We know about that so well. Um, so the delivery itself, guys, happily went fine the c-section went just fine it was perfect the um the entire experience was exactly like i had imagined yet nothing at all i just it was perfect i we went into the room the operating room to have her and it seemed like it just went by so fast and before i knew it she was saying oh here she is and i could hear her like kind of cry but not really because she is the perfect baby. Right, right. And they, like, cleaned her off and 
like kind of cleaned her off and then brought her right over to me. And I remember holding her and nothing after that. Yeah. Wow. So you don't remember anything after that? No, I don't remember going back to the room at that point. I don't remember... I don't remember the visitors that came that day or the day after. Yeah. I do remember um, Lucy was born under six pounds and the hospital required her to be put in her car seat and then monitor with oxygen for an hour and a half before they'd let her go home with us. Uh-huh. So Ryan and I had walked down to the nursery to, um, to see her doing that. But I... I don't remember anything after holding her except for that very small part in the nursery. Yeah. That's a very, very sweet memory, but it must be, um, it it must be, uh, distressing a little bit or maybe even painful to, to know that you can't remember some of the other moments. And this is all before any kind of real tragedy has struck. Right. It's really surprising that, I mean, going back to our room and having visitors, having my mom and dad come in and Ryan's parents coming in, it just, I don't remember any of those details. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, just so you know, uh, this is probably the only deficit that she's had after what she's going to tell us has happened. When we come back from break, you will see how just a little bit of memory loss for a few hours uh, that's all she had to deal with is an amazing commentary when we come back on the Health Mastery Cafe. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The information you see, the inspiration you need. Practical, relevant, current. Tune in to the Health Mastery Cafe with Dr. Dave. Nothing like this has ever been done before. The Health Mastery Cafe, rebranding health. So we're back here on the Health Mastery Cafe. Um, exploring this inspirational story of this beautiful couple and beautiful baby girl. Arlie, you were telling us before we went to break that you couldn't remember um, some of the things after Lucy was born. You held her. It was a sweet moment. But then there were some hours that were gone. Tell us what happened, uh, if you don't mind jumping in here, Ryan. Tell us what happened over the next couple days with Arlie. So, you know, after this, after the C-section was completed and we got back to the room, it was just a very happy, wonderful occasion. You know, everything was, seemed to have gone so well. Uh, visitors were coming, uh, really celebrating with us, uh, the, the birth of Lucy. And it was just really a very happy, very sweet, very wonderful time that, that thankfully I can remember. And, um, and, and unfortunately Arlie can't, but it really was, wonderful for the next day and a half yeah as it should be yeah absolutely and then i think it was um so arlie had lucy on a sunday and uh, they told us that she needed to be in there for 96 hours in the hospital 
um, as a mandatory stay after a C-section. And so we kind of had our eyes set on, you know, either Tuesday evening or, or Wednesday sometime to be able to go home. And uh, it was Tuesday morning at about 4 o'clock in the morning uh, when, when uh, Arlie was there and needed to get up uh, to use the restroom. And I don't remember actually getting up to go to the bathroom or even waking Ryan up. Wow. But I do remember... Um, and so at about four in the morning, um, I was staying there at the hospital. Uh, Arlene and I had decided that I would stay there all the nights with her and, and sleep on the little couches they have there for, for the new dads as well. Yeah, yeah. And Arlie was actually getting around pretty well on Monday, uh, surprisingly so, in fact. Uh, but she was still being cautious. And so when she had to get up to use the restroom, she asked me to get up with her. Right. So she woke me up and I, I walked her over to the restroom and um, you know, sat her down in there, had my arm around her back just to kind of brace her and support her and make sure everything was okay. And we were just conversing lightly. And, um, and suddenly, um, Arlie just stopped talking, suddenly had a very blank stare. Uh, then her eyes rolled back in her head and her whole body went limp. Her body went limp. Yeah. Wow. And so she, I knew that she had passed out because I've seen people pass out before. So obviously I knew that's what had happened. Right. Um, and, and I wasn't overly concerned because again, I, she had just gone through a surgery. So I thought, okay, she's passed out. I better get the nurses in here to help though. So we were in the restroom and they have most of the restrooms of the hospitals, I, I believe have the little strings that you pull and yeah. it says pull for help. Right. Right. And so I, uh, I immediately pulled the string once she had passed out and it was 20 seconds later that three nurses were in the room finding out what was going on and, and helping me with Arlie. Yeah. So at that point, though, um, had Arlie regained consciousness? So she fainted for a bit. Did she regain consciousness at that time? Not until the nurses got to the room. Uh, once they got there, um, they helped me kind of help her come to. Um, once she did, we tried to stand her up um, so we could get her back to the bed. And as soon as we stood her up, she passed out again. So we sat her right back down. Uh, and then uh, she kind of came to again. Then uh, they brought over a wheelchair because we could tear, because we could tell she wasn't going to make it uh, walking on her own to the bed. So we needed to put her in the wheelchair to get her over there. Yeah. Uh, so we put her in the wheelchair and we wheeled her over to the bed. And there was, right before we got her into the bed, she passed out again. So there was three times she had passed out in very rapid succession just as we're trying to get her to the bed. Right. And then when you got her to the bed. Now, Arlie, you don't remember any of this, right? I remember as they got as they were putting me into the bed, they realized that my oxygen was going down and they had put the the finger, the oximeter on my finger. Yeah. They put the oximeter on my finger and tried putting the nostril oxygen up my nose to see if that would help and I was out of breath, and so I wasn't able to catch my breath with the oxygen. So they wanted to put the whole mask on. Uh-huh. And I remember them putting the mask on my face, but I couldn't catch my breath. And so I felt like they were trying to suffocate me when they were putting that mask on. Uh, so yeah. that is the only thing I remember, them putting that on, and I was swatting it away. I did not want it on my face. Right. Wow. Yeah. So and, and, and so, Ryan, she was in the bed at this time. She was trying to pull that mask off. And what happened then? Was there some time where she was sort of then stable and relaxed, or what was next? 
um, she she wasn't stable and relaxed, unfortunately. So she was she was really kind of panicking uh, with the, the oxygen mask that we were trying to put on her. When it was on, her oxygen level would suddenly shoot up to where it needed to be to 98 or 99. Right. And then she would swat it off and take it away, and then it would drop down into the low 80s again. And um, they were a little bit concerned, so they called in somebody to do a blood draw. And they were there very quickly. Within a few minutes, they were there to do a blood draw while we're trying to get the oxygen mask on her. So I was trying to help calm her down and help her keep the oxygen mask on, tried to help hold her arm a little bit gently so they could draw the blood. Uh, but they were still very concerned because they weren't sure what was going on. So they told me they were going to call in the MET team, which uh, apparently is an emergency response team of some sort. Um, and they warned me that, hey, we, we don't know what's going on, but we want to have precautions here. So there's going to be seven to ten people that are going to be in here very quickly, and they're going to be hooking her up to monitors, and we're just trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. thank goodness for that team, right? Absolutely. Tell us, uh, so she, she had a pulse at that time. She was still kind of, was she yeah. talking and stuff at this time? or She was not talking. She had a pulse, but she was not talking and um, not really responsive at all at that time. But she still did have a pulse. Yeah. And so the, the emergency met team arrives uh, within a few minutes. And then apparently there was the, uh, uh, the, the life flight team that had just come in off of um, a call they've been on, so they just happened to be there. So they joined as well, just to make sure, because they have, you know, some extra training and some emergency situations. And so um, instead of just seven to ten people, it was actually fifteen to twenty people were there, um, making sure they figure they were figuring out what was going on. Yeah, the life flight team is a special emergency team, like a paramedic team that uses helicopters to go to places that you know you can't get to by car, or you really need to get somebody to you know, an emergency room quickly. So they are the, the sort of EMTs in the air, if you will. And they were there helping out with the case. Now, what did they say? Did they say something that changed the trajectory of what was going on there? So they were the ones who kind of took over um, to address whatever issue was there. So uh, during this time as well, uh, the OB on call had come in and was visiting with me kind of walking me through what they were doing. Here's the test they're running. We're running the, the blood to figure out what's happening here. Um, this person's going to do this here. And it wasn't very far into it after that life flight team arrived that she crashed. Okay, so this was, everybody was there, and then she lost her pulse. That's exactly right. Okay. What happened next? So I was not prepared for that. Um, I knew there was a lot of people in there, and I was knew it was serious, but I still wasn't anticipating her losing her pulse. And so as soon as that happens, you know, you hear that sound on the machine that is the steady buzz where it's not beeping up and down. It's just it's flatline. And um, then I, I just saw somebody immediately jump on the bed and start chest compressions, and they put the little mask um, on her face with, with a balloon off to the side to, to, to squeeze to uh, yeah. can help keep the air flowing. Yeah, the Ambu bag, yeah. Yeah, and so I I was just in pieces at that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the, the, um, the, the, the visual of that must be haunting. It is. It's, it's something that, uh, it's one of those things you'll, you'll never forget that you saw it. 
you just never will forget. Yeah. So they were doing chest compressions. They gave her medicines to get her heart back started. And then did her heart restart? So I don't, I don't know if they gave her any medicines at that point in time, um, but they did get her heart started back up. And so as soon as they started those chest compressions, it was very overwhelming for me. It was also very crowded in there. And so the OB just kind of walked me right outside the room so I could still see in, but I was kind of in the doorway, so I wasn't in the way. Yeah. And um, at that point, um, Lucy had been in, in the nursery uh, because uh, they were running some tests on, on her skin to make sure she didn't have uh, jaundice. And so I asked OB to walk me over to the nursery so that I could see Lucy because it was just such a, an overwhelming experience having to watch yeah. that going on. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I just, the first thing that came to my mind was go see Lucy and just hug her. And so yeah. I went immediately to the nursery and, and uh, was just holding Lucy and, and the OB told me that she would just give me the, the play-by-play the updates. And within a few minutes, they came back and said that they'd gotten her pulse back. Um, but then they'd lost it again. Um, and then they got it back. They knew they needed to transfer her from the maternity ward. They just couldn't give her the help that she needed in the maternity ward. Yeah, so they had to get her into a, an intensive care unit, more of a critical care unit. That's exactly right. And so at the hospital we were at, um, we were in Building 7, and the ICU was in Building 5. And so they said that they would walk with me, and, and we could walk with Arlie in the bed down to um, the elevators, go down the elevators, down a long series of hallways over to Building 5, and up the elevators to the proper floor. And so... Um, I was following with them, and, and the OB on call was again uh, with me, talking me through what was going on. They were trying to figure things out. Uh, they'd gotten their pulse back, so I thought, okay, they've got this thing figured out. We're okay. Yeah. Um, after we had gone down the elevators, going down a, a very long, cold, light hallway, um, we were walking along the, ha- the hallway. We were walking along the corridor, and suddenly – they're sprinting out ahead of, of where I'm at with the OB. Yeah. And I can see one of the nurses jump up onto the bed to start chest compressions again. And they're on a full out sprint down the hallway wow. to try to get to the elevators and go up to the ICU. So at that point in time, obviously I knew that she had lost her pulse again and that we, we were not out of it at that point. Wow. Let me, um, let, let me let me ask you to um, go back a second, and I do want to pick up from there. Um, the 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 emotion is, uh, you know, and I can't even imagine what that's like, even being on the other side as a physician, but really having that happen to 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 me, to, you know, I don't understand what that's like, and I don't, I'm not going to try to say, hey, yeah, I understand. I do want to go back and talk about. Um, what the moment was like when you were with Lucy, when they were all in the room before you guys went over to the other building, what was that moment like to hold your newborn baby girl with this idea of uncertainty about the love of your life? What was that like? It honestly was very bittersweet because going through something like that, seeing somebody that you love and care so much about in that situation, if you're if you're on your own, if, if you're by yourself, it's it's I think a lot uh, more hollow. It's a lot more difficult to cope with. Yeah. And so having Lucy, this this beautiful baby girl, where I could 
go and, and hug and just be with her um, brought a level of comfort to me that I, I just simply wouldn't have had if she wasn't there. And so very bittersweet because it's all I could think about was, what am I going to do to, to, to raise Lucy on my own? How is she going to, how is she going to do without having a mother? How, how are we going to make this work? Is, is Lucy really going to be robbed of, of having her mom who wow. was so looking forward to having a baby girl? Wow. She's going to be robbed of that. And so it was just very bittersweet, this very up and down emotion that I had in that moment. Yeah. Wow. 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 That is, uh, that's powerful, but you know, there is a great, great ending to this story. Um, and I want to keep going with this when we take, uh, after this short break, I want us to take up from there and keep going before we go to break though. Was there any sign from Lucy? Was there something, I mean, did she look up at you? Did she make a sound to let you know that everything was okay? Was there anything like that, that in, in retrospect you think was a sign that mom was going to be okay? I think one of the things that I've seen with Lucy that has been just such a blessing is that she is so good. She is just always so peaceful. And yeah. so it was just, she was sleeping and just looking at her in this peaceful sleep that she was in, that's that's where my my comfort was. And just, she calmed me down so much because she was just so precious and so peaceful and so wonderful. Ah. And she has continued to be that way. Lucy is just such a good baby. She's all the time just such a wonderful, um, wonderful baby. Wow. That was, you know, you know, if you don't mind me adding this, that was the gift at the moment. Daddy, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Wow. Let's take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at The Good Dr. Dave, and on Facebook at Dr. Dave, or visit DaveMontgomeryMD.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we're back on the Health Mastery Cafe. We're talking about the magical, courageous story of the Gregerson family. In the midst of the storm, as Ryan was saying, right before we left, in the midst of a storm that no one could predict, that no one could even dream of, his baby girl, their little angel, was saying to them, if you will, everything's going to be okay. And indeed it was. Ryan, keep taking us through now. You're racing across from the maternity ward to the other building where she could get more intensive care. You saw the nurse jump back on the bed and start CPR even again. What was going on then? So we eventually got to the elevators and went up to the fifth floor where the ICU was um, and they got her to one of the rooms. And um, while I had been in the maternity ward with Lucy, I had called um, some family to, to let them know that uh, we were looking at something that was pretty serious. And so I called Arlie's parents, who live about two hours away. Um, I called her sister, 
I called my parents and I called my brother. And so um, her sister, my brother, and my parents all lived fairly close with about 15 or 20 minutes of the hospital. So once we got up into the ICU, um, the OB on call again was uh, kind enough to, to kind of give me the play-by-play. And um, uh, for about 10 or 15 minutes, I was there by myself. And then shortly thereafter, uh, family started to arrive uh, for support. And, and the OB, uh, she would go into the room because I didn't want to watch everything that was going on. It was just too difficult to, to watch the CPR over and over again. She would go into the room and come back out and say, we lost her pulse again. Um, so they're doing CPR again. And then she would go in and she would come back and say, we've got it back, but it's touch and go. And um, that went on again for about 10 or 15 minutes until um, some family started to arrive. Um, Arlie's sister, uh, Danica, came uh, from, from her side of the family. She was the first to arrive from her side of the family. And she wanted to go in and, and see, um, see Arlie. And so the nurse said to her, you know, if you can handle what's going on in there, then you're more than welcome to step in because no one else is in there. Um, no other family members are in there right now. So uh, she simply got to the doorway and they had started chest compressions again. And um, Arlie's body was uh, white and almost blue and um, and her sister uh, just was was in pieces as well and, and turned right back around. And, yeah, uh, that's too much, to, and, too, too much to see, too much to handle. I uh, came back over and had a good cry with, with, with me as well and um, and they, that, that continued um, on. All in all, they did CPR for about an hour and 15 minutes. An hour and 15 minutes. And you mentioned this on the, on the show, on Steve Harvey's show. An hour and 15 minutes without a consistent pulse. Uh, that is, that is an, an inordinate amount of time. And as I mentioned on the show... Anytime we're doing CPR, even for 30 or 40 minutes, we, we are not really that hopeful because although we're doing really good CPR and we're giving all the right medicines, if the pulse is not sustained by the person, if they don't have their own pulse for that long, we, we assume that the brain has not gotten enough oxygen because the, the pulse isn't, you know, the blood's not getting in there. When they finally got her pulse back, what was the scene like there? So at some point in time during the hour and 15 minutes of CPR, they had let me know they figured out that she had a pulmonary embolism and that they were getting the medicines uh, from the pharmacy so that they could uh, bust up the clot that had gotten into her lung so that they could get the pulse back and sustain it. Yeah. Now, were they still doing CPR when they discovered it was a, a, a PE? They were, yes. Okay. And PE, everybody, is a pulmonary embolism. If you saw the Steve Harvey show, it is a clot that forms lower in the body that travels to the lungs, and hers was so large that it stopped blood from flowing throughout her entire body. Uh, So go right ahead. So they figured it out, and then they got the medicine. It's called TPA. And did they give it to her right away when they got the medicine? They did, and in anticipation of that uh, because apparently the TPA will thin out your blood substantially and she had just had a c-section they had, had brought up a lot of um, extra blood um, to to be able to give to her in anticipation that she she may well lose some uh, blood once they bust up that clot and thin out her blood yeah TPA is the most powerful blood thinner we have in fact our bodies 
make TPA. Um, but, you know, with medical science, we've been able to, you know, purify it and, and make TPA, TPA in, in a medicinal form so that in cases like this, you can break up clots. She had the most powerful blood thinner on the planet at a time when she was at high risk of bleeding from a uterus that had just given birth to a beautiful baby girl by C-section. So they were very um, conscientious and thoughtful about that and got the people on board to say, well, if we're going to give her this TPA, it is likely that she's going to bleed from the uterus. And she did bleed. Is that correct? She did, and she bled a lot. And um, at that point in time, once they'd gotten her pulse all the way back, I'd gone back in the room and was watching as as they were trying to figure things out and, and doing a few different things, and she was losing a ton of blood. And they were trying to, to get it to stop, and they were trying to figure something out. Uh, but because of the C-section, they simply couldn't. And so she was bleeding out at that point. Wow. It was reported somewhere that she got up to 20 units of blood. Is That's that accurate? Correct. Yeah, you got 20 yeah. units of blood. Wow. And so what they had told us at that point was... Um, the OB, um, Arlie's normal OB, had, had made it in, and she had come and talked to me and said that they were worried they may have to do a hysterectomy at that point in order to get the bleeding in the uterus to stop. And so they had that very serious discussion with me because it's not something they, they want to do, um, but they thought they might have to. So they discussed that with me, and then they told me they are going to take her to uh, interventional radiology. Wow. So, so ladies and gentlemen, you see what I mean about the, 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 the layers of complexities. I mean, this is the stuff that we, you sometimes just only see in the movies or on television. You know, you know, it seemed like thing after thing happened to this beautiful couple. They wanted to now take her uterus because it was bleeding in order to save uh, Arlie's life. They wanted to take her uterus, but the interventional radiologist is a minimally invasive physician who can figure out how that uh, can figure out how to fix things without going to surgery. And they did. So Arlie, they figured out a way to stop your uterus from bleeding, given this powerful TPA to bust up a clot that was causing you to to be unconscious for that long. You were you were essentially dead for that long. What did they say to you, uh, the, the interventional radiologists say, about um, not wanting to take your uterus out? In other words, have a hysterectomy. And I actually never spoke to, to him. He, he visited with the OB, so I never actually got to meet him till after everything happened. But when the OB went to visit with him about that, saying that she was concerned they might have to do that, he said, well, let me, let me try, and I think that I can go in there, and I think I can cauterize uh, the two sides, and I think we'll be fine by doing that. And um, he was very confident that he could accomplish that without having to, to take her uterus. Yeah. And in fact, he was. In fact, he did a masterful job at that, uh, from, from what I'm told, that it worked very, very well. The surgery went extremely successfully. Yeah. So at he went in. Uh huh. Go ahead. I'm sorry. At that point, when he went and cauterized those arteries, he also put a filter in my lung above my lung so any additional blood clots that were coming through would be caught in that filter yeah 
Yeah. It's called an IVC filter in your in your vena cava. So it's the big vein that uh, actually that big vein is the vein that the clot that went to your lungs initially. That's the vein that it traveled through from your lower part of your body, probably down in your legs area or your pelvis area. It traveled through the IVC into your heart, into the lungs. Um, so what they did was they put this filter that we usually called an IVC filter um, so that no further clots could travel from down below. Um, and that's a really important thing for you to have had happen because they didn't want to have to give you more blood thinner given what was going on with your uterus. And that's, that's what I mean about the layers of complexity. So now they embolize the, the uterine bleeding. They stop the uterine bleeding. And then was she intubated for days or what was, what was the thing, Ryan? Was she, she was, she was, um, so she was intubated for the rest of Tuesday and then into part of Wednesday. Um, and they ended up taking the tube out probably about, I think it was midday on Wednesday. Wow. Wow. That, that in and of itself. And, and, uh, you know, you probably have heard this already, with all of that going on, for that tube to come out as quickly is is another layer. And I didn't, I'm just hearing that now, guys, because we didn't talk about that. How quickly the tube came out after all of that is is really amazing. I mean, we would expect somebody to have that tube in for days um, who's had the, the kind of complications that Arlie has gone through. When they took that tube out, what was the, the first thing she said? <laughs> I think it was water. I think she had yeah. water. <laughs> Give me some water. What's going on in this place? She'd had the tube out. Um, she had, we had, we had done some, some tests, and also um, they'd encouraged us to try to continue to communicate with her. And so they brought a, a, a tablet of some sort over uh, that, that could sit above where she was sitting. And so she was able to begin to communicate um, by typing onto this tablet. And it's just, for me, it was it was one of those things that just showed me what a fighter she was because just from the get go, um, I mean, as soon as she was awake and aware after the surgery, um, she was responding, and they they had thought about um, putting her into I think it was like an ice bath or something like that mm-hmm. to try to get her system going better, and they told her, hey, Arlie, if you will blink your eyes. And if you will give a thumbs up, then we won't have to do that because we know you're responding because they were trying to test neurologically how she was doing. And so she fought through it and she blinked those eyes and she got her thumb up so they didn't have to put her in the ice bath. She was an absolute fighter from from that moment forward, really through the whole thing, obviously. She was just such a fighter. No question about it. I mean, you know, the the cooling part that you're talking about is something we call uh, hypothermia. And we cool people who have had a cardiac arrest for a long time to try to do just what you said, Ryan, and that is to preserve as much neurologic function as possible. Remember when we talked, I told you how we hardly would have imagined that she had this much cognitive reserve, let alone be as functional as she is, and we're going to let her tell that story now. This is is utterly amazing. So... Arlie, tell us the, the first thing you remember after all of this whole ordeal. Do you remember saying, hey, give me water, you guys? What's going on here? <laughs> uh, one thing that I want to bring up that I've known now because I've seen pictures. While I was still unconscious, my 
the baby was still over in the maternity ward. They hadn't released her from the hospital. And so she was still over in building seven and we're in building five. And the doctors had thought that it would be a really good idea for us to have some skin to skin and see if I reacted to that. And so they had arranged for a security guard to go pick her up and bring her over to that floor. And we've got some really just amazing pictures of her yeah, yeah. laying on my chest while I've got this tube down my throat. And I mean, I look like a wreck, a completely different person. And there's this sweet baby. And I feel like that's where my fight came from is knowing that I wanted to be her mom. I wanted to live and be a family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The will to live is stronger than any, any obstacle. And you're showing that. Wow. That's amazing. That skin to skin time. She didn't think you looked like a wreck. You're her mommy. You know, this is mommy. Are you kidding me? I've been here in this heartbeat for not, you know, for almost nine full months. What are you talking about? This is my mommy. What's going on? Hey, mommy. That is, this is an amazing story. And, and the, you know, as we go through it, I, I just get more and more inspired by you, Arlie, by you, Ryan, and by that little angel that you guys have named Lucy. Um, I, I wanted to share uh, with people that not only is Arlie almost fully cognitively, uh, you know, intact. I only say almost because there was a few hours that she doesn't remember uh, before all of this, but that's it. She went back, and how many houses did you sell over the last, what, 11, 12 weeks? What is... <laughs> Not not too many, just one. She's she's selling houses, ladies and gentlemen. She was dead for an hour. She's selling houses. It's only been a few weeks. I think this is the most inspiring, encouraging story. Um, you know, God has smiled on your family. This is not a story that you get to keep to yourself. This is a story that, as I told you at the beginning, when I saw that quote, it said, you have been assigned this mountain so that you can show to others and no less to yourselves that it can be moved. And if there is no other example of miracles that I'll ever come across, I will know that miracles do happen, that dreams do come true. You guys are living proof of it. Bless you. Bless your family. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us here on the Health Mastery Cafe. Is there anything that you would want to share with the people that are going to be listening to this story before we go? For me, I, I do always like to express whenever I uh, tell the story of what happened, my, my deepest and sincerest gratitude to, to the doctors and nurses uh, that, that helped Arlie because, you know, she was absolutely a fighter and they were as well because they did not give up on her yeah. Um, they continued to, to do the CPR for as long as they did. Uh, they, they continued to believe in her and to have hope that she would not only come out of this, um, but come out of it as well as she is. And it was such a blessing to have them uh, share in this experience with us. And, and I always like to express my gratitude to them. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Arlie, do you have any last words? 
that you would want to tell uh, people um, about your story? Again, I'm just so grateful that everything turned out like it did. I would have never thought if somebody told me in passing, oh, I had a PE, I wouldn't have even realized how big of a deal that it is. And so when people even talk about it being a miracle, I guess for me, it's just, it happened and I'm so grateful that it did, but I just don't ever want to take life for granted because it can be gone in an instant. And I just am so grateful to be here and be a mom to Lucy and a wife to Ryan. Wow. And, uh, you know, that it, it, you know, it's, uh, that's an emotional story guys. I'll tell you, you know, I, you know, choked up just hearing those words come out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking all this time today to share with us and everybody who's going to listen to this story. Um, your very personal and intimate story so that maybe other people can look at what they're going through and say, if they can get through that, I can get through what I'm going through. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of the Health Mastery Cafe was brought to you by WebMD. Find out more at webmd.com forward slash heart health. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at The Good Dr. Dave and on Facebook at Dr. Dave or visit DaveMontgomeryMD.com. We'd love to hear from you. Health Mastery Cafe. Rethinking what's at stake. Rebranding health. The Health Mastery Cafe with Dr. Dave is a production of DMMD Studios.